One of the most memorable baptisms that I was privileged to celebrate as a priest was for a couple that I'd known for a long time. I knew them before actually even going to seminary. And because of that, I sort of watched their relationship grow and develop. It was a real privilege to celebrate their wedding and blessed with a child eventually. And I knew a lot, I thought, about what that journey meant for them and how they had prepared for the child and what the child meant for them. And so I had all these things going through my mind and was just couldn't wait to share it at the baptism and to share that moment with them. And it's not often the case that a priest feels that connected to the couple unless they're in his family. So I had to travel, it wasn't in Chicago. I was there, I was just waiting for them to arrive. And they come in, and almost from the minute the little guy crossed the threshold, scream bloody murder the whole time. And I don't mean just a little bit, I mean nonstop, except for the occasional gulp of oxygen that his brain probably required. It was just, I mean, I'd never before then or since then experienced anything quite like that. And so he's writhing and wriggling, and you know, you're trying to go through all the different pieces. And I'm not going to say that we were just trying to get it over as quickly as possible, but we were just trying to get it over as quickly as possible. <laughs> and sometimes that just happens, I mean, in spite of all the best intentions. So all said and done, the day comes and goes, and I just remember, I'm not proud of this, but I'll admit it, kind of sulking, you know, why did, why did that happen? I had such a great thing to share with them, and it was going to be this really special moment. Why did that kid get in the way, you know, that sort of thing. But as the years have gone by, you know, I've often thought to myself, why have I never shared that with them later? Why have I never shared that with the couple, especially with their son? Why didn't I, why haven't I shared with him everything that I was able to witness in his parents as they were getting to know each other and as they entered into that beautiful sacrament of marriage? How come I never took the time just to sit down and talk about it and share what it meant for me? And shame on me if I haven't. And I hope one day that I will. I'm saying that because there's something about the sacrament, really all the sacraments in the church, but I think especially the sacrament of baptism, that we sort of experience as a day, as a moment. It's a powerful moment, it's usually very beautiful, but Sometimes, let's be brutally honest, it's almost like a roll of the dice. You can get a child who's just all worked up, or maybe it's a big group of families, and it's really sort of hard to enter into the moment. And then, you know, either the priest's ego or whatever jumps in and says, wow, that wasn't as effective as it could have been because everybody was all worked up. And what we forget, really, is the fact that this is just one milestone on a relationship, a relationship that began long before that child was a twinkle in his parents' eyes, and a relationship that will continue on really for all eternity, if we believe what we say about that immortal quality we all have in our souls. I had the privilege of meeting with the RCIA group just about an hour ago. Some of them are even here, so you can read the bulletin. You're not going to hear anything you haven't heard. And I was with them in that journey. And then, really in a very humbling way, it's so evident that it is a journey. These aren't grown men and women simply preparing for a moment 
at which they'll receive the sacred oil or the water of baptism, the laying on of hands. That'll be an incredibly powerful moment, as the Easter Vigil always is. But clearly, this is a journey that is extended over many years and will continue to unfold. With the sacrament of marriage, I think we understand this perhaps a little bit better. We have two words, right? We have wedding, and everybody knows what that means, and then we have marriage. We don't say, next Saturday at 3 o'clock, I've got a marriage to go to. We know the difference. We don't talk about having celebrated a beautiful 10-year wedding. may have felt that way, but that's not what it was. And that sense of a difference between the moment of the celebration and the relationship that is entered into. But we have to be intentional about it. With marriage, the intentionality is automatic. You have the two spouses, you have their families, you have their children, perhaps. And that relationality of what the sacrament looks like, even though most of the time, the couple isn't thinking about the fact that they're celebrating the sacrament of marriage. It's just unfolding as a part of life itself. But the grace and the beauty of God's presence is there because that encounter is there embodied in the people themselves. I'm mentioning all of this because as we think about the baptism of Jesus, no, it's not a baptism like we all received. It's not even a precursor of that baptism. We should really think of that baptism as Jesus entering into the dynamic of what all the citizens of Jerusalem were doing with John the Baptist. And it's his way of establishing a kind of communal bond with them. Yes, I am here with you. We know he doesn't have any sins to be sorry for, but that doesn't mean he can't take part in that communal gathering of everyone coming to John because they ultimately desire to be with the Father, who is, of course, Jesus' Father as well. My point is, when Jesus comes up to receive baptism with John, what he's doing is he's partaking in something that was there long before he showed up. He's giving his own affirmation to this community, this community who is seeking something powerful. They want a closer relationship with God. They didn't have in that tradition an understanding of what baptism means for us, but that's okay. They were showing up as one community to be closer to God and Jesus wanted to partake of that. So when he says, it's right for me to do this now, that's what he's talking about. He's not saying that he's playing at baptism or he's pretending to have sins that he doesn't have. So that's the precursor. Then there's that wonderful communal moment where there's dialogue with John. I wish sometimes I could dialogue with the little babies at baptism, you know? What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What does it mean for you to be here today? Not the one I just told you about. I knew what was on his mind. But then after Jesus has the baptism with John, then the journey goes on, right? I mean, it's almost improper that we bracket this little passage off and call it the baptism of Jesus. We should really take what immediately flows after it in all the Gospels, right? We know Jesus goes out into the desert and he's tempted. But we shouldn't see those as two different events, the baptism of Jesus, the tempting of Jesus, the this of Jesus, because that temptation is part of the natural flow of the relationship with the Father. It's not that God is tempting Jesus, but to be human means to encounter the limitations of our own humanity. 
And it's struggling with those limitations, like hunger, like wanting recognition, like desiring power, all those temptations that are thrown at Jesus. It's because of this relationship that is growing and that has taken a step forward in his baptism with John. That means he faces those temptations in a different stage than he would have otherwise. And of course, at the very end of his baptism, he hears that incredible affirmation. You are my beloved son. That's what we're all meant to hear at our baptisms. And I know not all of us were raised with physical parents who uttered that beautiful phrase to us, but that shouldn't cloud the fact that that is how God sees us. And that's a nice thing. We would all agree to it, put it in a hymn, stick it in a prayer. But that really looks like something. And to know that as we face the struggles in our own lives, our own version of what going out into the desert to encounter temptation looks like, to know that we also have a God who absolutely delighted in the fact of our own baptism. And no, most of us weren't aware of it at the time, whether we were screaming our heads off or we slept through it, we don't have memories of it, but that doesn't matter because that's the communal nature of every sacrament. We were there because people loved us enough to bring us there, our parents, our grandparents, our friends. Think of how the whole parish was involved in that event. Go out in the narthex and you can see the hall of fame there, right? All the former pastors, Father Trout, Father Hennessy, it's the end of my history, but they go way back. And those are just the pastors. They represent entire communities who were here 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. And every time a little baby's at that font, it's as if that entire communal spirit is there. We don't have any families to be baptized at today's 1230 Mass, but when they come next week or the week after, whatever it is we share now will be there around them. But we have to be intentional to be aware of it. That's how grace works. It isn't shoved down our throats. And so maybe just a little spiritual exercise and perhaps even physical exercise to challenge ourselves as I was powerfully reminded as I sat with the folks in the RCIA program for this year, what does it mean to encounter Christ in a sacramental church? What does it mean to look someone else in the eye and to say, you and I are part of this community, not just as a social gathering, that's a beautiful thing, but we are actually making present and real not God, God was always there before we showed up, but we are making him real to one another so that that grace can be received. That's something we need to be intentional about. And the last thing I'll just say, because I promised to the RCA group who challenged me to be aware of something I often forget, okay, baptism, confirmation, how about coming to Mass on Sunday? Do you ever realize, Father John, that in any given Sunday Mass, there are plenty of people there who haven't yet come into full communion with the church? And they're not necessarily in the RCIA program. They're here because their friends are Catholic, or their person they're dating is Catholic, or someone in their family is Catholic, and they've come along. And there's that moment, right? Beautiful moment in every Eucharistic liturgy when everyone comes up, and maybe nobody ever said to them, well, here's what the Eucharist means in the Catholic Church. And maybe because of confusion or somebody wasn't particularly kind to them and they just sit there, 
and they feel like they don't belong, maybe feeling even a little embarrassment or discomfort with their friends or their family, why don't we say more often, everyone is invited to this altar? And St. Joe's does a beautiful job of it, but it isn't just St. Joe's responsibility, it's all of our responsibility to extend that invitation, something as simple as, please go up to the altar. You know, cross your arms for a blessing, but that's not a consolation prize. It's the same God blessing you as is there on the altar. And then have the conversation later about what Eucharist means for us and let the extended invitation grow. What Jesus received on his baptism day wasn't forgiveness of sin, but it was something that can resonate in all of our hearts something that truly is real. The sacraments either are received in community or they're never fully received at all. And I promise you, and hold me to this, sometime this year I'm going to track that kid down and I'm going to bring his parents in and I'm going to tell him everything that I wished I'd told him then. And he's a little bit above the screaming age. He won't fully absorb it all, but I'll keep telling it and hopefully his parents will keep sharing it because we grow and mature into our baptismal grace. But we never do it, and indeed we can't do it alone.